Welcome to the wonderful world of wine, exploring all things wine-related with you. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. Hello, Kim. Excited to talk wine with you today. Uh, first topic we found was a, an article about pairing wine with not social vignons. Is that how you say it? Vignons? <laughs> vignerons. It's those a blog. There's G's in there. It can get pretty tricky. You're better at the pronunciation <laughs> than, than I am. So overall, this article was a wine pairing article, but it also had some good suggestions about pairing uh, as a perfectionist or a whimsical pairing. <laughs> so what did you think of the approach first on the, on the pairing? I thought it was it was a nice approach you know not only are we talking about sort of the basic rules of pairing food and wine but then they got into the nitty-gritty of pretty specific food category but I think that people who like to drink wine with their food do sort of fall into those two categories there are some people very specific about oh you only should drink this with this and this goes with this and yada 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 or you know there's the people who just kind of drink what they like with the foods that they like and just kind of go with whatever they have what uh what category do you fall in well to me it's all about trying to find the best way a perfectionist they were saying with like to find the perfect match i think you have to just experiment to find the perfect yeah. match and this article had me thinking you know i've never honestly sat down and had nuts with wine have you i have actually and this uh, this article sort of triggered in my mind a tasting that i did over the summer at the uh, boston public market where we were pairing local wines and local cheeses and then there was all this other stuff that kind of had to go on the plate so i had to do a fair amount of research into, okay, which wine should I put almonds with? Which wine should I put pecans with? Which, you know, and, and all of these other things, pickled onions and jams and pickles and, and sorts of stuff like that. So this reminded me a little bit of, of that procedure and having to do a whole bunch of research about, you know, what wines actually do go with these kinds of nuts. I don't want to make a really poor pairing, but I think there's so much room for just experimenting and trying things out. And sometimes those really good matches don't follow the rules and you're totally surprised. So I kind of like that about the experimental part of pairing wine and food. So in the in the article, they mentioned elements to consider. So did you consider the acid or the bitter or the fats or the salt or texture of the nuts? Totally. Like they were saying in this? Yeah, like the idea of putting a lighter nut like a cashew with a lighter wine. For me, that makes total sense. And what I found interesting was the emphasis on tannins because you don't usually have a lot of food that has a lot of tannic structure, but nuts are totally one of those things that does. So often when you're pairing a high tannic wine with food, you're not so worried about, oh, the other food has a lot of tannin too. I have to be careful about what I pair this high tannic wine with because you don't want too many tannins in there. But nuts really are one of those foods that you do have to take that into consideration. And they also were talking about the preparation of the nuts. It could be a roasted nut. It could be a salted nut. Right. Just like with any food, you know, if you're doing a barbecued chicken, that's going to be heavier and can stand up to a heavier food as opposed to if you're doing a poached chicken, which is so much lighter and you don't want to overwhelm that with a heavy red. So preparation, style preparation method, um, it does not surprise me that would be something that you would need to take into consideration for nuts as well. So roasted nuts, you know, can boat with something a little bit heavier, whereas something that's unsalted, raw, a little bit lighter, you want to stick to something lighter. And they were talking about complementary and contrast in pairings. And we fight about this a lot because uh, how we always pair up things, we have a different view. But I think 
think they all work. So it, it, it basically was this. It's either a balanced pairing or counterbalanced pairing. Right. So you're either looking for flavors and, checks and textures that are complementary to each other, a high acid wine with a high acid food. That's why Chianti and spaghetti sauce go so well together. Or you want to do opposites, which also work, like a spicy curry with light white wine that has some sweetness to it so that the sugar and the heat balance each other out. 50 different nuts in the world. Fifth. I couldn't think of 50. Yeah. And interesting though, I don't, I, I didn't see peanut in no. this article, right? So one of my, if my go-to nuts is the peanut. And I was thinking, have you ever had a wine or opened a bottle of wine and you taste it and the first thing you think is this is a grapey wine? Yes. It's just overpoweringly grapey. Grape, right? So I was thinking, okay, one of these grapey wines. Oh, you're going perf- with good jelly peanut and peanut butter, butter jelly, aren't you? Right? So see, <laughs> see, you didn't even think of it. I, don't, I didn't don't understand. even think about that. Yeah, peanut butter and jelly. And there's just some, sometimes you have just huh. a, a like an unoaked, maybe Tempranillo or something from Spain. And the first blast you get is just grape juice, right? It's all fruity. And now I'm thinking peanut, right? Interesting. Also, well, they didn't talk about, say, like a tawny port with a nut. And that's my usual go-to. Go-to, right? So Absolutely is. Because those wines have such nutty aromas and nutty flavors to them. This kind of goes back to that. You're doing contrasting or you're doing complementary. So if you've got a nutty wine and you've got a nutty nut, that's that classic complementary flavors and aromas that are going on there. So that that's a perfect pairing. Yeah, so no mention of tawny port. I was or, a little surprised by that. Madeiras and yeah, cherries and all profile, those things. Which I would think was a perfect pairing for most nuts. I don't I don't know the 50, but they did mention maybe five or six. You Did you talk about walnut? You Talked had in your about, t- yeah, walnuts so they because said, they're really tannic. They said Pinot Noir now Which makes for a sense. I would Because if you have, say, a Shiraz that's really tannic and you're putting it with a tannic nut, you're just going to be overwhelmed by tannins. Whereas if you pair it with a Pinot Noir that might be a little bit lighter on the tannins, it might work a little bit better. What did you think about the other? They had pistachio, cashew with a Sauvignon Blanc or a Pinot Grigio. I just did this the other day, actually. Which, I, which we were which? drinking a Sauvignon Blanc at home and I was eating pistachios and my husband was eating cashews. And they both went pretty well but they made the wine taste very different bitter no, no not bitter just the wine tasted a, a certain way when i was drinking it with the pistachios and it tasted a certain way when i was drinking it with the cashews so like with the pistachios it really brought out that sort of green vegetal note you know pistachios are green and can have sort of a almost like a green flavor it brought out those flavors in the wine whereas the cashews didn't do that and i thought that was very interesting were they both salted nuts i'm trying to remember i don't think the cashews were because i would think the salt would overpower the I don't fruit. think about salt all yeah. that much when I when I think about wine pairings. So I if you had a salty food in general or not, do you think you want a more acidic wine for the salt know, or more fruity? Do. Maybe you want more acidic so that it'll be more mouth-watering and you'll have more just, you know, stuff going on in your mouth. I honestly don't think that I've ever thought about salt level in food and how that would impact what you're drinking with it. I mean, there oh. are some whites that are, the grapes are grown near water sources that give them a little saline mm-hmm. quality to them, but I'd never think of pairing it that way. No, I totally... But they did mention, as we said before in past food pairing uh, suggestions, is when there was 50 different nuts from around the world, pair it with a, a wine from the region the nut is from. And this is advice that we give people a lot too. It's like, if you don't know what to drink with what you're eating, well, where is that food from? Are you eating Italian food? Pair it with Italian wine. Are you eating... So hazelnut, I think, is an Italian 
not correct due to Nutella. Or, <laughs> right? I love Nutella. But and they paired it with with Chardonnay and sparkling wine. So no no Italian really. Well, you could use Italian yeah. wines. Unusual. The, your bubbly friend there came up with hazelnut and almond nut. And to, I, to I almost feel like using the the sparkling wine thing is is a little bit of a I don't know a little bit of a cop out because yeah. <laughs> sparkling wine goes with everything. Yeah, it works so. with all of them. Yeah, As, nut could be an appetizer food, so it works f- well with sparkling. So any other takes on any of the pairings they they mentioned or and just that the sort of as they moved up the scale to the heavier nuts you know moving from those pistachios that are nice and light into something that's heavier like a pecan you, you see the wines getting a little bit heavier too so i think this is where that whole is it a roasted nut is it not comes into play whereas if you're doing more with the nut if you're roasting it if you're sometimes you'll get like smoked nuts things like that definitely pair it with something a little heavier yeah they did mention covered chocolate nuts what's the other thing candied nuts i would assume would yeah. you want a little sweeter right wine to it those are the things that would go well with port like i've done some pecans that have been coated in like a sugary syrup that actually has port in them and this kind of goes back to that rule of if you are looking for a wine to pair with your food try cooking with that wine just a little bit you know put a little bit of that in the dish and that'll bring the whole thing together so this yeah, is an instance good. of that that sounds good and and getting back to the grapey with the peanut it's it's the whimsical <laughs> pairing I i'm guess. gonna have to totally I would try say. that so try it out let us know get some peanuts and kim and i will suggest a grapey wine <laughs> and let us know what you think Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. If you would like to get more information about myself, you can go to franklinliquors.com. If you'd like to get more information about Kim, you can go to vinitaswineworks.com. Today, we are going to talk a little bit about when you are traveling for vacation and want to bring some wine back with you. What are the logistics of packing wine in your suitcase? Mark, do you often travel and bring wine home or? Or do you just, you know, get it all shipped here? No, I, I basically drink it wherever yeah, I am. Yeah, I don't, I don't do I don't a whole lot. Of, I don't think of it, but I do get a lot of questions about how can I ship it more than how can I pack it when I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. And I guess the take I took from this article was when you go away, do you pack it yourself or do you buy it and let them ship it to you? So it's similar ways you have to think about how to pack it. So how about yourself? Do you? The only time I've really ever done it was when we've traveled to Italy and we brought a few bottles back, special bottles like Vinsanto and some Brunellos and things like that. But it's not it's not often something I do because we don't travel a whole lot but I thought that this was pretty valuable information you know wine if it breaks in your luggage you've got a, a pretty big mess on your hands so we you know we do get this question every once in a while and the only option is you have to pack it in your checked luggage so you know right. how that's you know handled so you treat it any way you would treat your other valuables you want to put in your your checked luggage I, I always have a, my go-to kind of thing to tell people about shipping is make sure it's wrapped and make sure it's concealed in some sort of baggie or bag that if it breaks, it's not going all over your clothes and you'll capture it in some sort of, of bag. That's smart. So like pla- like a plastic bag, keep yeah. the bottle in a plastic bag. Yeah, in case of breakage. Uh, yeah. So they, they were talking about suitcases in general, the structure of the suitcase, protecting the top and the bottom of the bottle. Mm-hmm. And they do sell some very expensive cases made specifically for wine. Did you see the movie Bottle... Um, bottle Shock? Bottle Shock. It wasn't that... Was that what was the movie about the tasting of Paris? Yeah, it was Bottle Shock. Bottle Shock. Okay, so the gentleman comes from France and he goes to California. He, he had to have people carry so many bottles a piece. Right, it because they wouldn't let him transport all of the himself. wine himself. 
So yeah. he was handing out bottles to people on the airplane saying, will you carry these two bottles for me? It was it was a pretty well, cute it scene. It didn't talk about if you're limited, how, how many bottles. I mean, if they open your case and it's filled with a case of wine, right. is and there that, a limit? That's what I was thinking too. And not only is there a legal limit to how much alcohol you can be bringing in and on one trip, but the weight because wine and yes. glass bottles, really heavy. That's true. So if you're going to be, you know, thinking about packing a few bottles of wine or more in your checked luggage, you really need to think about how heavy are those bottles going to be. Yeah, great point. Even you're five or six bottles. So is it worth it? I mean, if it's if it's a wine, you definitely, it's not shipped to the state or to the country. It's worth grabbing some there. Uh, but I would definitely look at seeing if they ship it. Most of the California, if you go to California, most of the wineries will gladly ship it to you. Let them take the insurance and, mm-hmm. and that for the, for the wine is my point of view on that. I always get nervous any shipping of wine, either a club or doing it yourself, just because you don't know what the heck, you know, especially on a plane, you're talking altitude and temperature right. changes. And the way that their luggage is handled, you know, you do need to pay attention to the fact that you are shipping something that not only is it messy if it breaks open, but it's in a glass bottle. And certain parts of that glass bottle are more delicate than others. So the one of the major takeaways I thought about this topic was protect the neck of the bottle, because if it's going to break, that's where it's going to break. So I thought that was really um, something smart to pay attention to if you are going to pack some wine in your luggage. Wrap each bottle carefully, build like a wall around the edges of your suitcase so that there's some some protection there and then really pay attention to that that bottleneck how did you pack when you brought them back from Italy? I think we rolled them up in sweaters. So there was no baggy, no, no, no I don't think, bubble wrap. I don't think we did. We did, definitely didn't do bubble wrap, and I don't think we did plastic bags. I think we just like wrapped them in our heaviest clothes. So you got lucky. Totally, you got totally lucky. Well, <laughs> well, we wish everybody good luck when you're doing it. But uh, there are there are a lot of options. Better cases, direct shipping. Tell us what you think. Welcome back to the wonderful world of wine. We are your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lenzi. You can find Mark online at franklinliquors.com and you can find me online at my company, Vinitas Wineworks at vinitaswineworks.com. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about alcohol levels in your wine and how they are labeled on the bottle. So what is interesting is that there's so much information for you on a wine bottle label that you just sort of take for granted. You know, you see a grape variety, you expect that that's the grape variety that's in the bottle. You know, you see the producer name, you know that that's the producer. But when you see the alcohol level, there's actually a plus or minus that is associated with that. So your wine might say it's 14%, but it could be more than 14%. It could be less than 14%. Do you ever have to explain this to customers, Mark, and uh, get people to understand that that there is a little bit uh, of plus minus there? I don't think customers really care about the, that mm-hmm. geeky part of it. But you know what? You think that's where, a geeky part? Yeah, I think it's a geeky part. I mean, people want to look at the la- the percentage. It's one of the seven truths that have to be on the label. They must tell you the alcohol content. The winery is paying tax based on the alcohol level. So they also want to know, or the government also wants to know if you're within that level because they don't want you cheating on the on the tax payments. So this article, which was in uh, Vine Pair, uh, brought to light that they've done a study checking how that plus minus level is. So. I thought that was interesting because I had never read anywhere before that there was actual research done on, okay, so your bottle might say 13.5%. Is it actually 13.5%? Is it more? Is it less? And this study found that most of them were about a half a percent higher than what was stated on the label, which I thought was very interesting. And the standard for the government is if it's a 14% wine or below, the plus minus is 1.5%. If it's above 14%, the plus minus is 1% of error. So 
they did a, a study and they found an EU plus minus and a US plus minus, and it was within the standard government rate. Right. So I thought one of the things they did the, like a hundred thousand wines too. They tested. That's which a lot of wines. Was a lot. I don't know how many the government. I don't see any stats on the TTB site of how they tested, but I'm sure they're they're spot checking um, people sure. frequently to get their their money. Well, really, I mean, if the if at the end of the day, what it's really coming down to is taxes, then sure, I'm sure the government is paying pretty close attention to this because they want to make sure that they're getting their their fair amount of tax that they're that they're supposed to. The interesting part, if, if the article was saying, say your wine label says 13.9%, so that's under the 14%. So it can be up to 15.4% alcohol, be, and it's stated it's it's 139 So right. that makes a big difference. That's a really big difference. That really could be the difference between a hangover the next day and not. Yeah. So it, I mean, it brought to, to that to me was just astounding. There's no way for us to know what it is, but you, you should be aware there is a plus minus percentage. Lately, there's been this new tax reform in the news, and they are playing around with raising the tax rate on the wine. So I think now it'll be everything up to 16% is going to pay the same percentage. I think right now, 14% and below is like 21 cents a bottle. And then at the higher rate above 14, it's higher. Uh, so now they'll all pay the same up to 16%. So we don't know how that will affect the plus minus level. Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. And this seems to be a smart change given that these days grapes generally will attain higher ripeness, uh, what with climate change and with uh, summers and climate being a little bit warmer. Grapes don't really have to struggle all that often in too many places to get super ripe. So there's more potential alcohol in those grapes because they're higher in sugar. So it's easier for winemakers to make these higher levels of alcohol in their wines. So I think that this is probably a little bit of a response to that because we are seeing higher and higher alcohol levels. One thing that was mentioned in this article was that typically, so in the 1960s, Cabernets coming out of Napa were usually around 12 or 12 and a half percent. Now Cabernets coming out of Napa are closer to 15, 15 and a half. So there definitely has been this major change either in, you know, the ripeness of the grapes or technology has gotten a little bit better or the environment is a little warmer or winemakers are making these switches uh, to produce wines that do have higher alcohol levels. So it's it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on. Yeah. And if I always like to look at it from the point of the bigger producers of wine, if I'm making a million cases of wine and I'm paying tax on the alcohol level. Kim, would you make a wine at over 15% or over 16%? Absolutely not. Right? Not you, if I have to pay higher taxes. Right. On that. You're saving that money. So I'll always bring up it at events. I'll say, did you notice that the wine brand you've been drinking 10 years ago, the alcohol content is exactly the same today right. as it was 10 years ago? When you have all these factors where there's in the industry, the levels are rising, but they are keeping them the same. And it's all to me based on tax money. Mm-hmm. So when you're drinking a bottle of wine, take a look at the label and that alcohol percent. And as Kim mentioned, that's usually 99% of the time. The problem with your, your stay with a hangover is due to alcohol percent. So Stay hydrated. You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine. I am Mark Lindsay of Franklin Liquors. You can find me at franklinliquors.com. And my partner in wine is Kim Simone. And you can find information about her company, Vinitas Wineworks, at vinitaswineworks.com. Our next topic was from the Napa Valley Register, Keys to Fine Wine. And it was basically defining balance and structure in wine. Do you consider these geeky terms for or understandings of wine? I guess I do. 
do. I mean, if you're just looking for a yummy glass of wine to drink at the end of the day, you might not necessarily be thinking in terms of, oh, what is the balance of my wine? You know, you just want something that tastes yummy. But for those of us that think about these things day in and day out, these these are important topics to think about. I, I know for myself that paying attention to the balance of the wine is my number one thing that is going to make me feel this is a good wine or this is kind of a mediocre wine or so, maybe a bad wine. I don't know. I don't I don't run into bad, bad wines all that often. Explain your definition of what a balanced wine would be. So for me, a balanced wine is that there isn't one component of the wine that is overwhelming all of the other ones. So we're talking about things like acidity level. You know, is it too tart or does it taste just just tart enough? The tannins. Is it overwhelmingly making your mouth dry out or is it a, a nice feeling? Alcohol level. When you drink it, does it make you feel like you've been eating spicy salsa because it's so hot on there? Or does the alcohol just kind of have a warming effect and bring the whole thing together? So it's those components. Are they all working together? Or is there part of it that is maybe the alcohol is too high or there's too much sweetness or it's too tart? I used to describe wines that were kind of out of balance like this as having uh, too many elbows. It was like they had one part that was, you know, sticking out and kind of poking you and it wasn't necessarily a pleasant thing. So for me, the balance is key. Are all those parts kind of playing nicely together or is there something that is uh, that is standing out and is kind of, set, I guess, getting it off balance? Yeah, many times when I say to someone, it's a very balanced wine, I, I get a puzzled look mm-hmm. because it is kind of a, a difficult thing to understand. It's almost the same thing as saying a perfect food and wine pairing where you, when you have the pairing, you're not tasting too much of the wine, you're not tasting too much of the, the food. It just balances well together and mm-hmm. nothing's overpowering. So I kind of compare it that way. They were saying there is no formula for a a perfect making a perfect balanced wine but there right. are factors that can affect the balance of a wine and it all i mean it depends on the grape variety too you know you've got some grape varieties that so let's compare say a pinot noir and a cabernet you're not going to have the same structure with a pinot noir as you do with a cabernet and if you are looking for the same balance in one that's in the other you're not going to find it because they're different you can't look for a big tannic Pinot Noir because they just they're not out there because it's just a great variety that ends up being lighter. So if you are looking at it and think, oh, this is too light because you're trying, you want it to be a Cabernet, you know, it's almost like you're looking in the in the wrong place. You need to assess them for what they are. You, what's what's the thing where if a uh, if you judge a, a fish by how well it can climb a tree, it's always going to be a failure. It's like well, if you judge a Pinot Noir by the tannic structure of a Cabernet, it's never going to live up to your expectations. So balance is different for not only each individual grape variety, but maybe the style that they're going for. So everything, everything in it of its own, I suppose. Yeah, that's the great thing about the wine world, uh, just discovering or keep trying different things. When you find a, a wine that is balanced, a lot of times it surprises you because it might be from a region uh, where the climate you wouldn't think it would be balanced, but th- there's so many surprises. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about when they, they're talking about structure. W- what is that? What, what would you say? You don't hear it often. You don't hear it. No, you don't. And usually, when you hear about structure, somebody is really only referring to the tannins. You know, is it a structured wine? Is it a big wine? Is it a powerful wine? The tannins are what give red wines their their body, their weight. It's what makes them feel substantial in your mouth. And the metaphor that the author used in this opinion piece, I thought was really interesting, and I had never thought of it that way, is he said that the structure of the wine is, think about your body. So you have a skeleton, you have muscles, you have um, the skin on the outside 
of your body. Think about the different components that lead to the balance of a wine like that. So all wines need acidity, just like all living creatures need a skeleton. So think of the acids in the wine as the skeletal structure of the wine. And then you add on tannins, which are like your muscles. They fill out the form and they make it look the way that it's supposed to look or feel the way it's supposed to feel. And then the fruit and the flavors is like the flesh on the body where now you see what it looks like and it gives it all this personality. So I thought that was such an interesting metaphor and I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah. And it really works for me. Basically, the the, the balance gives the wine shape. Yeah. Which, you know, I, like you're saying, I thought that was a very interesting right. thing as well. And, uh, you know, we use this term flabby sometimes to talk about a wine that doesn't have a lot of acidity to it. And so it's out of balance that way. And it's like, okay, so you're taking away the, skele- the skeletal structure. You totally can think about like a floppy, you know, you don't have any, any you know, skeletal yeah. structure in there. And it's just kind of flat and flabby. I'm like, yeah, that totally works. Do you feel a lot of people don't sense a balanced wine? It's something that comes with experience? I think it's something that comes with experience, with practice, and also with having tasted a lot of different things so that you can be able to put words to, okay, now I see why maybe that wine that I've been drinking a lot and maybe was something that you started out or it was a big commercial wine that a lot of people are drinking. When you can finally compare that to something that's a little bit better and that does have that better balance to it, then you can go back and revisit those things that maybe you were drinking before and be like, oh, now I understand the difference between this is a little bit of a better bottle, this one maybe not so much, and now you can point out why. And it's also... I think it's also individual, which is one of the reasons why there is no set formula for this. You, as you drink wine, have different personal preferences than I do. So like for an example, I prefer higher acid wines. So for me, a wine that has a little bit more acidity tastes more balanced, but that same wine might not taste as balanced for you because you don't like as high acid. So maybe you like more tannins, maybe you like more sweetness. So it's it's really hard for us to say at the end of the day, this is a better wine because this is better balanced because the wine that I think has better balance, Mark might not think has better balance. And it's it comes down to yeah, that individuality. Great point. great point because most of the time you give the acidity example, but the tannin example, you, you recommend a Cabernet. People expect that bitter, that tannin uh, level of a cab. But if you have a cab that's just balanced with, you know, very balanced acid tannins, people might not like it because they're not used right. to that structure. It might not. And it might not hit you over the head with, wow, all this oak or wow all this this tannic structure which is what maybe they're expecting and frankly maybe what they like and i find it's very rare that i make a tasting or taste the wine that i say this is very balanced because it's It's more typical you don't find them terribly balanced you mean yeah i mean i I rarely have wine note where i'll say this is perfectly balanced oh see i i I write about balance all the time in my tasting notes say well i I just (laughs) don't i don't find it and i think it's either i want to stress the acidity or the tannins because i feel that's what a shopper is looking for okay that makes sense so more like parsing out the different the different components yeah if i said this is a has a nice body it's a heavy body cab that the finish is very tannic Mm -hmm. or it people will relate to that more than if i said it's a very balanced cabernet that makes sense so i kind of go with that so let us know what you think about uh balance and structure if you have any questions reach out to us and we'll fight about it and explain how (laughs) we can You've been listening to The Wonderful World World of Wine with Mark Lenzi and Kim Simone. Thank you for joining us today. We can be found on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. And if you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment on our page. Wine, wine.